Influencers Network podcast. My name is Brian Craig. I'm executive director for Influencers Global Ministries uh, out of Northwest Arkansas. And uh, I am pleased to have a special guest this morning. Uh, we have a man with us who was uh, someone I've known for quite a while, uh, someone who has been a friend to Influencers uh, Ministry and good friends with Rocky Fleming, our founder, for many years. And uh, but Gary Oliver uh, is here with us today, and uh, Gary's official title, he's the, the Executive Director for the Center for Healthy Relationships at John Brown University. He's also a professor of psychology and practical theology. Uh, he's a very uh, well-accredited man, and, uh, and I love having lots of deep conversations with, with Gary about lots of things. But uh, Gary was uh, came into my life through Promise Keepers, really. Gary was... Uh, was involved in the beginnings of Promise Keepers and was friends with Coach Bill McCartney and was on the original board, I think, of Promise Keepers. And, and so he's had a unique uh, viewpoint to watch uh, kind of a, the movement of men that happened for several years. And uh, I, I always reference Promise Keepers because that's where God touched my heart. And I really think uh, that movement has been carried on with influencers, uh, where influencers has kind of picked up in a sense where Promise Keepers awakened a bunch of men in America. I believe, uh, I believe influencers has come around. So, so Gary, welcome. Thank you. And uh, I just want to, uh, I'd love, I just wanted people to get to know who you are and and a little bit about uh, your background and and just some of the things you've seen and because uh, you've been, I would say you're, you've been a real friend to influencers, our ministry, and 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 someone who's fanned our flame and almost a consultant of sorts and just. And just really been a blessing to us. So, uh, so Gary, tell a little bit about uh, your background and kind of how you came into perhaps came into Promise Keepers, working mm-hmm. with all that, and and just some of the things your eyes saw in those days and, and all that. You, you know, I know we only have so much time, but uh, but just just whatever comes to mind. But tell a little bit about your background and. Well, just briefly, I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in Long Beach, California, and I went to. Um, uh, Biola, got my BA from Biola, and then I felt called to ministry, so I went to uh, Talbot Center, got my Master of Divinity, and then I went to a full seminary for a THM, my Master of Theology. And um, I thought God was calling me to teach at a seminary over in the mission field. I'm an NK from Taiwan, so I've always had a heart for missions. I'm kind of a third culture kid. Um, but uh, God turned my heart from teaching theology at a seminary to uh, going on being trained as a clinical psychologist. So I got an MA and PhD from Nebraska. So um, my root system, I, I, I first trained as a theologian and then as a psychologist. Okay. And that's allowed me to understand the word through uh, some very unique eyes and uh, to see the relational impact of who God's called us to be. That it's not just about how much we know and how much truth we can regurgitate. But, um, you know, I mean, Christ said that um, the law is summarized in loving the Lord, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. I, one of my majors was apologetics. And as I studied God's word, I realized that the only 
uh, or, or the most prominent apologetic for the gospel message, what the Bible says is how we love each other. Mm. It's how we do relationships. You know, Christ in the Lord's Prayer several times prays the Father, says that they may be one as we are one. Why? That the world will know that to send me. Uh, John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, not as you love your neighbor, Old Testament, but as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then here's the kicker at the end of that, by this the world will know you're my disciples. Mm. Not by how many your perfect attendance church or how much you tithe or how many verses you memorized, all of which are important. Mm -hmm. The world will know you're my disciples by the love you have for each other. So we see in Scripture that my head knowledge and, and, and my awareness of who God is in the Word can't be separated from how we do relationships. And that was probably one of the big unique things about Promise Keepers. Because Promise Keepers wasn't just about downloading information into men, but it was about transformation. And men being not just hearers, not just regurgitators of the Word, but doers and living it out mm. uh, in your marriage, in your family, being uh, what Matt called men of integrity, mm. okay? And that involves how we live this out with, with different races, racial reconciliation. Uh, that the proof of the pudding, in a sense, is in how I live it out. It's not primarily how much I know. Now, was this, was this radical thinking when, when this all came out and Promise Keepers came on the scene? Was it radical thinking for the age or...? In some ways it was. You know, at that time, I remember um, there was a small group of men that kind of really God gave their core to. I was kind of in, in the second tier. So about a year before our first event, which was the arena event, uh, we had 4,200 men. I, I got a call. And uh, the guy was a friend of mine said, hey, uh, I'm good friends with Coach Mack of the Buffaloes, you know, Colorado. And uh, he wants to have his men's thing. And would you be one of our speakers? So I didn't know much about it, but I said, well, who else is going to speak? And he said, well, James Ryle, Coach Mack, Gary Smalley, and we, we want you. So it turns out I was one of the four speakers at the very first PK event, the arena event. And um, so as we met with Mack, I found a guy who was highly competitive, who was strong, passionate, and who loved Jesus. I've met few men with a, a more passionate heart uh, than, than Coach Mack and a prayer warrior. He was up early in the morning, every morning. And during football season, he got up even earlier to pray. Uh, I was in a small group with, with Mack and about four other guys. We met together for actually seven years. And so during football season, we'd have to drive up to Boulder. I mean, like, it was pitch black. Um, but, um, he was really about knowing Christ, living for him, but living that out in a ways that transformed. But at that time, the joke was most churches, you couldn't find a man with a search warrant, okay? All the prayer groups were women's, women's Bible studies, they had mops, they had all kinds of, if you had a daddy-daughter date night or something, maybe guys would come out. But women's ministries were blown and going, men's ministries were, didn't do well. Mm. And so um, that broke the heart of our Heavenly Father, and it really touched Mac, and God brought men around. So yeah, this, 
this whole piece of um, not just having a safe little Bible study where we have a mutual admiration society because I have the same view of the rapture that you do, <laughs> um, but of costly discipleship uh, was in some ways kind of radical. It, it was new. And this inciting men to action, if you believe that Christ is who he says he is, then what is it about how you live that demonstrates that? Hmm. Well, and, and does that make it, sense? It, it it totally does. And and the the thing I went in 1996. Uh-huh. That's when I went uh, with two busloads of guys from Tulsa to Texas Stadium, 65,000 yep. men at, yep. the, at the old Cowboy Stadium. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the thing I took away was that as a man, it's my responsibility to be the spiritual leader for my family. Yeah. And 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 I'd never taught been taught that. Didn't under, really know what that meant. But I've never. It's never left me. I still believe that that if you get the man. You get the marriages, you get the families, you get the communities, the churches. Tony Evans always did it well, yep. and how, you know, in his rallying talk that he would give. But, but well, uh, if you take your faith seriously, you can't take it seriously and not bring it home. Yeah. And not have it about your wife. And in your case, Brian, your four daughters right. and your friends. That's the gospel. Well, yeah, and I, and I have a household of, of women, so I'm not anti-women no. by any chance, and neither was Coach Mack. No, but what is this mandate for men? What what is that? And and taking note that Jesus grabbed twelve men that he really poured into, and Peter, James, and John even closer. But what is this mandate for men? And this is not being male chauvinist. Yeah, right? yeah. For some reason, well, of course, men are as important as women. Women are as important as men. But just like the Father, Son, Holy Spirit has different roles, we we have one God, but I believe in a triune God. Okay, we have different roles in the body of Christ. And uh, for some reason, God has chosen to, to use men in a special way, to lead out uh, in business and industry, not that women shouldn't be there, it's not about that, but it's about responding to that call of who we are uh, in the body of Christ to live out that um, injunction to Romans eight twenty nine, become conformed to the image of a son. Christ came as a king, well, I'm not a king, he also came as a servant, and we modeled him as we are servants. So for most men, we've got this kind of weird thing, well, I'm a man, so I'll be the senior pastor, or I'll run the company, and it's not about that. Hmm. And um, Bill, uh, Mac was hysterical. He, would said, he said, you know what, I, I'm not successful until I outserve my wife. He said, if Lindsay serves me more than I serve her, I'm not being the kind of man God wants me to be. I glorify God most when I serve others most. And that is so phenomenally biblical. But uh, so many men have taken this men's leadership thing and it's really gone in a weird direction. Mm. So Promise Keepers was about calling men because men were being called. You would have big women's rallies and Joyce Meyer and, and uh, others, and, you know, where are the men? In fact, that's what our first, in 1991, I still can see the flyer, the poster. Where are the men? Wow. Where are they? Uh, seminaries bemoaned it, pastors bemoaned it, denominations, you can't get the men out. Mm. The men are sound asleep. Uh, and God said, okay, we're going to get these men and wake them up. And God used uh, 
a fairly young Christian, uh, a coach who would say himself is rough at the edges, but a man who loved Jesus and still does, a man who was sold out, a prayer warrior, um, a humble man. Most folks don't appreciate how humble, how truly humble Coach Mack was and, and, and is. You see him on the field or you see him up in front and he's dynamic, he's powerful. A humble man, a prayer warrior, a servant. Mm. Well, you know, uh, when I, when you were saying, where are the men? I mean, I, they were, the men were still, were captains of industry. Mm-hmm. They were CEOs of companies, you know, a pretty male dominated executive, you know, in all the top companies. Uh, prisons were mostly filled with men. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, more yeah. so than women. Yeah. Uh, 90, 98, 99% of the people on death row are men. Yeah. Wow, that speaks well, doesn't it? So, so men had influence, whether <laughs> yeah. it be good or bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it wasn't influence for Christ. No, no. So, so what you know, Promise Keepers kind of came and really sustained for quite a while—15 yeah. years, I would say, or at least a good um, ten years. But yeah, a good ten, yeah, solid yeah. ten yeah. years. Yeah. So, what what do you think's changed as a result of Promise Keepers in our country? Looking back, I I think most of us who were part of PK would say that God, the primary purpose, not the only for PK, it's still going on, but their primary was to awaken men in America, primarily. There were some international things, but it was to say, wake up. Mm-hmm. And there was a father saying, I love you, and you guys are, are, are eating crumbs, and I want to bless you. I want you to exceedingly abundantly beyond all you ask or think, Ephesians 3. And... Um, you know, you can get excited about me and excited about being a godly man. And some of the best stuff in the world is being a servant and loving and forgiving and nourishing and cherishing and encouraging and listening. Mm-hmm. Okay? And um, so I think God used PK to wake up a sleeping giant. But the purpose was to, I think, ignite groups like influencers. Mm-hmm. to wake up the church. There are, as I travel around the country, even today, I find groups who were started, I, I've talked to hundreds, or they've talked to me, who their group and their church, their community, their county, was uh, ignited by the flame of PK. Mm. And so it was kind of like God took PK, he blew, kind of a wildfire spread, and there are so many men's ministries today that trace their wood system back to PK. Yeah, and, and anyone I ever talked to who was part of it, uh, it's always a positive thing. It, oh. it, it, everybody has positive and, and fond memories oh. uh, from different trips they took with men and just things that God did in their hearts. Um, so he really did waken up a oh, bunch I, of men. I happened to grab an old PK hat probably oh, 79 years ago. I, I was in the airport and I had a, actually a pilot uh, stopped me, a, a United pilot, and said, oh, says, I went to PK, and, you know, we, we got talking, and he teared up. Mm. He says, you know, PK helped, helped me find Jesus. I've been in the church for 10, 15 years. I had prayed the prayer, I, but he said, I had no idea. Mm. And that God used that, and, and, and here he is in O'Hare at, at the airport, there were tears in his eyes, remembering. Mm. Isn't that great? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. 
and you know, I don't, I don't know that influencers directly traces its roots to to promise keepers. Like it wasn't like that. No, that's, no, uh-uh. that's not the thing that touched Rocky Fleming. No, but I think God ordered it properly where God wakened up our movement in Rocky and and some of the things God revealed to him on the heels of promise keepers. It did till the soil. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. Where the seeds of what God gave Rocky have flourished. Yeah. It did to the soil. Yeah. yeah. And, and what I always say is I loved Promise Keepers, but but I didn't know what to do when I got back home, yep. back to my church. Yep. I was so excited yep. and my pastor didn't know what to tell me to do uh, beyond maybe get into an accountability group, which, yep. was, which was valuable, but it just didn't take me deeper. Yeah. Some of the things you were talking about, being conformed to his likeness and you and I were talking off air about sanctification and all that. And this is where Influencers comes along and, and helps with that. So... So what 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 have you seen? Uh, you're in Northwest Arkansas, and and how did you get to know Rocky? First of all, I... when I moved back here in 1998, God led me um, to move from Denver to Northwest Arkansas, and um, a guy on the board was a pastor of a, a local church here, and uh, a well-respected large church, and uh, he said, "Gary, you've got to meet the guy at, at my church. He is the most." influential, most impactful mentor of men, disciple I'd ever known. Well, I had great respect for his pastor, so I wanted to meet him. So I remember I met Rocky. And, um, and of course, Rocky's powerful, he's dynamic, he's you know, got great presence. But as we talked, it was like, and then he had me read, in fact, I, uh, he was coming out with his first book, he asked me if I would read it. And, but I think my endorsement's still on, on, on it. Yeah, on the uh, haircut. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I, I thought, you know, God's given this man a vision. I mean, he gets it. And we spent hours chatting, and then I read the, the second one, too. And um, I thought, here's a guy who's God's calling not just to do another Bible study. And I'm not putting down Bible studies. Don't misunderstand me. I've seen so many where the end game was having more information, was being able to cognitively articulate certain doctrines and have reasons for my faith, but had very little to do with looking, living, loving, and sounding more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I became intrigued. And then I, uh, Rocky sent two guys from, I think, the first or second group to my office. At, at John Brown University, uh, just to meet me, because I, I said, okay, Bubba, I, <laughs> let me see some food. I mean, come on, man, I'm a food inspector, okay? He laughed. Uh, <laughs> and um, so, um, and, and the guys I met, one had been a banker, one had been an executive at Walmart, and, and these were guys, the, the banker said, I've been a deacon in my church for 20-some years. I feel like I've just become a Christian. I get it. And the Walmart guy was known as kind of a crusty, hard, my way or the high, I mean, you know, uh, was very successful, worked with Sam. Uh, and people didn't recognize him because he was so kind and sensitive <laughs> and tender. And I thought, you know what? That's a gospel. That's transformation. That's men who have their father's heart. So I saw in influence something very unique, and I, and I'm not on the board of influencers. I'm not paid by influencers. I'm okay, <laughs> um, but I've seen literally hundreds of men's groups around the country, 
And I was on the board of Promise Keepers for 10 years. I spoke at over 30 events. I spoke to over a million men in live venues, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. I know of no men's groups that is more. There may be some who are as, you know, similar, but, but that has more of a practical impact in terms of getting folks into the Word, but into the Word for the purpose of transformation, mm. of becoming more like Christ. As a single man, as a dad, as, as, as a husband, as a friend, as a son, as a business guy. Mm. The end game is transformation. Mm. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection mm. and the fellowship of his suffering. Mm. And that's why I'm, um, I'm a big promoter of, of, of influencers. Well, I, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, let them hear a little of your story, about your personal story, because we're all about showing men and women how to abide in Christ. And, and, and what we show them is that part of your abiding process, there will be trials. <laughs> that that's just the, by design. Yeah. And it's something none of us can fully get our brain around even still because yeah. no one wants trials. But how God designs trials to take us to this confirmation in his image and all that, you know, the transformation he wants and all that. So can you tell our listeners just a little bit about some of the storms you've been through and how God has... Turn that for good, and you know, just a little of your story. I'll make it short. Um, in 2005, uh, early 2005, my dad died. Uh, two months later, my late wife Carrie was diagnosed with uh, metastatic pancreatic cancer, inoperable, given three to six months to live maximum. God gave her two more years, but uh, 2006, I had my fifth bout of cancer. Had chemotherapy, radiation was told. There was a 50-50 chance I'd never speak again. My voice gradually came back. 2007, uh, my middle son Matt died. And two months later, my wife of 27 years, Carrie, died. 2008, my only sibling, my sister Marcia, died. So in four years, I had buried my uh, biological family and half of my present family. I buried my dad, my sister, my wife, and my son. Uh, a year later, uh, my cancer came back again. And uh, then nine months after that, it came back again. Oh, 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 oh yeah, the time it came back, it, uh, I had a 10 half hour surgery. They removed 80% of my tongue. They said they'd never speak again. Uh, they said that I have a feeling to the rest of my life. Uh, I spent six, seven months before the mirror trying to say my ABCs. I, I, I couldn't say them. Mm. So here's a guy who's done speaking, teaching, counseling, coaching, consulting, a psychologist, uh, uh, speaking internationally. I couldn't say my ABCs, Brian. Wow. And uh, I'd end up in times in front of the mirror weeping and just saying, God, I don't even understand A, B, or C. And yet, I gave my life to you, I gave my tongue to you, and uh, so let's see what you have in store. And um, as I'm learning how to speak, my cancer's come back again. I'm, I'm told that I have advanced stage four, inoperable, I've less than three months to live, go home and contact hospice. And that was in uh, 2011. And here I am, and I'm kind of speaking. I, I sound a bit like Elmer Fudd, but um, 
people ask if, what my accent is. I, I had one guy say, is that a New Jersey accent? I said, no, it's an MD Anderson Cancer Center accent. <laughs> um, but you know, so, so I've had cancer eight times. I've had seven surgeries. Uh, I buried those closest to me. And I can say beyond any shadow of a doubt that God's a good God. Um, I mean, I've seen grief as a clinical psychologist and personally. God's a God of mercy. God is a promise keeper, not just a promise maker. In those losses, in those days and weeks of mourning and grieving and sobbing when I had more tears, in those six, seven months of not being able to speak and not being able to even say a sentence, okay, um, coming back and being told I had less than three months to live. Brian, I, I found a presence of God, a power in His Word, a sense of His peace that transcended everything else that I was experiencing. I had pain, it was excruciating. Uh, <clears throat> um, uh, I had tons of hopelessness. I had darkness. I was in valleys that lasted for several years, but I was never alone, never alone. Mm. And so that's why I, I proclaim with more boldness and more power. When people say, just Christ makes a difference, yeah, he does. It's not just pie in the sky by and by. It's not just willful, uh, you know, uh, why well, I, I want this to assume the best. It's not Pollyannas. I've walked with thousands of people through massive losses, and I've experienced more loss than most people will, will ever experience in the seven years that I experienced it. Hmm. Well, so I, this goes out to thousands of men and women, and I, I'm sure there's somebody listening who's depressed, grieving, mm -hmm. sad, angry at God, you know, all the things you've, and for who knows what's going on in their life. But yeah. what are a couple of things you'd say to them? Of, of where, What do they do? Where do they start? First of all, we have to remember who we are because of whose we are. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's not just a play on words. That I'm a son or daughter of the king. That all his promises apply to me. And even when I didn't feel his presence, even when I didn't see him at work, even when I felt like my prayers were bouncing off asbestos over my head, I knew that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. God has no choice but to keep his words. That's part of his character. He's immutable, okay? And uh, he has to keep his word. He is a promise keeper, not just a promise maker. So I found, found myself recalling hymns that I'd memorized, learned, songs. I spent time in the Word and prayer. And there are, are times when I would read the Word and say, God, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing any of this. I'm not seeing Jack, okay? I mean, I'm reading Psalms, and I'm saying, who the heck did you write this to? This wasn't written to me. I mean, I could so relate to David. And God and I had some pretty real conversations. Mm. But, but David did too. And, and, but I, I would say, and God, what I know is that you're present. What I know is that you're good. What I know is that I can trust you. And my circumstances don't determine my reality. Mm. My reality was determined at Gethsemane and Calvary and by an empty tomb. And the fact that I've been bought with a price and I serve a risen Savior, that's what determines my reality. Circumstances change. What Christ accomplished on the cross doesn't. 
and the fact that I am in him, and I have been grafted into the vine, and I'm a partaker of the divine nature, and I'm an heir and a joint heir with Christ. And time and time again, it's like I would sense God saying, Gary, you don't feel this, and you may not for a while, but the truth is, and those promises would come back, and who I'm in Christ would could, could come back. And uh, I had some folks who prayed for me. I had some folks who loved me. Uh, I didn't go in some pseudo-spiritual faith route. I was honest with God, but I spent time going over and over his promises. And uh, again, I, I had a handful of guys I knew I could talk to. And uh, I had people who would write me who didn't even know, who didn't know me, say, we've heard your story and God put you on our heart. Um, and what I learned was the fact, and, and of course I'm, I'm big on the fact that being made in God, God's image means we have a mind, we have a will, and we have emotions. And most Christians, especially men, have no idea what emotions are. Most men are emotionally illiterate. They have almost no emotional vocabulary. And the evil one has used that over centuries, you know. But um, that part of becoming conformed to him is being conformed to his image in my mind, what I think, with my hands, what I do, but with my heart, my emotions, what I feel. And um, I found during this time, God helped me understand pain. When I couldn't talk, he taught me to listen. I mean, I had a friend who said, boy, Gary, God really had to shut you up, didn't he? You should listen. <laughs> I think it was a friend. I'm not <laughs> sure if a friend would say that. Um, but more than listening to others, Brian, I had hours and hours and hours when, I mean, I could barely walk from my bedroom to my office at home, the chemo was so debilitating. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even walk out in the front yard. <clears throat> and so I had time to listen and wait and seek him. My sheep hear my voice. I hadn't spent much time listening for his voice. I'd spent thousands of hours telling others how they needed to listen to his voice. Mm. I'd spent way more time telling others how to listen than I spent actually listening. So God gave me the gift of time where I didn't have to, but I chose to listen. And I began to hear him and see him and experience him. And nothing I've gone, or no, Almost nothing I've gone through is good. I don't recommend this. Cancer is vastly overrated. <laughs> okay, and, and saying goodbye to loved ones. But I will say this, what God did, how God used this, the fruit that came out of this pain that was given back to him mm. has been amazing. Mm. So is suffering good? Well, it depends on how you suffer. Um, I, um, if we give it all back to God and look for his hands and listen for his voice, I know very few women or men who I would consider really godly men or women, saints, who haven't suffered a lot. You're right, suffering is a major part of, of this process hmm. uh, because it gives us a unique opportunity. And you learn, you learn to not be afraid of it. You learn to be, to welcome it. Mm -hmm. I mean, like not as a friend, but I guess some people go that far as to say oh. that if, if you have to, but, uh, 
it's just knowing that trusting God in the things that you don't understand, right? Yeah, it's um, it's it's like for me when problems come to suffering, one of my default modes to react, one of the ways I react. You know, when you go to the doctor and they have a little hammer and put it on your knee and your <laughs> leg goes up, it's a reflex. Yeah. One of my reflexes now is, um, and it, it's the Holy Spirit in me. But okay, where's your opportunity? Ah, oh, damn, bummer. Oh, how is this? Oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, this, nothing good can come. And you know how we can go on? Yeah. And at some point, okay, Gary, I'm still sovereign. Where's the opportunity? I'll never forget, this is a great story. I was um, on the board of PK. We were at Glen Area, which is where the Navigator's headquarters is in Colorado Springs, uh-huh. having a board meeting. And I just got my third diagnosis. So um, halfway through the day, uh, Mac told the board guys, Gary has to leave us, he has to go up to Denver for uh, some scans and stuff, and just shared with my third um, diagnosis, and they laid hands on me and prayed for me. Well, I was sitting next to Dr. Howard Hendricks, uh, and um, he had just come off of a 10-hour surgery for stage one melanoma on his face. Was still kind of puffy, still had a bandage. And after Mac dismissed the board and they were kind of moving out, Howie turned over, put his hand on my knee, leaned in about two feet from my face, and said in his unique way, You know, Gary, when they were taking me into the operating room, I sensed God saying, Hendricks, your whole life you've taught people that I'm sovereign. Well, either I am or I'm not. And then he kind of squeezed my knee and said, and when I went under the anesthetic, I went under thanking God for his sovereignty. Mm. And uh, uh, I, I've never f- forgotten that. Mm. And um, I think of, of Howard Hendricks and you know what? Thank you, God, you're sovereign. So when, when stuff comes, I don't have to understand it. Mm. But I know there's always a sovereign opportunity for God to be glorified. And over time, for me, that's become the bottom line. If I make it, and if I do well, that's not the success. The success is, is if somehow God is glorified and people see Jesus. That's right. And there's a sweetness, Brian. There's actually a sweetness. So now I talk weird. Uh, I can't chew very well. I have all kinds of eating restrictions and... and, and um, and go figure, God's still using me. <laughs> in a major way. In a so major way. those of you who are listening, okay, if God can take a guy that only has 20% of his tongue and use him, God can use you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, I think we're about out of time, Gary. Thank you so much yeah. uh, for your stories and for your influence in my life and, and just how you pour it into particularly pastors. You know, I love your passion to, to help pastors. And uh, that's, that's my big burden now, Brian. That, that's really where God's using you yeah. in a major yeah. way. And, and I've seen it with my own eyes. So thank you for that, Gary. And uh, for all you out there, if, uh, 
if anyone is listening out there and, and you don't know about influencers or about the journey, we would love the opportunity to take you on a journey to an intimate abiding relationship with Christ. And, and uh, if you want to know how to do that, go to our website, www.influencers.org and send us a message and uh, we'll try to get you hooked up. Uh, we have uh, groups in a lot of cities and, and where we don't have influencers, we're even doing some virtual journey groups to try to get people plugged in where we don't have influencers. So lots of great opportunities. But uh, anyway, my name is Brian Craig. Uh, I'm the host today and I'm going to just keep encouraging you to abide in Christ and go make disciples. God bless you today.